0: Welcome back, this is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. Available everywhere, good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by the usual wacky cast of characters. First, he is the platforming prodigy, he is Mark Robinson, and he is here to talk to you about video
1: games. How are you, friend? Uh, I can confidently say that I have that Friday feeling, and I'm I'm glad to be here with my two very, very good friends to talk about the video games.
0: Remember those... um, was it crunchy? Had the get that Friday feeling. It was, yeah. Was the...
2: And everyone yeah. was made out of a chocolate, and they were all on a roller coaster, and they just looked like they were having a great time. Uh,
1: just nineties
0: delicious adverts. capitalism.
1: There's something about nineties adverts that, um, like, I think we tend to remember, other than like the the gorilla drumming to Phil Collins, which I'm guessing was around like the 2010s. Uh, well, I, think that, that... I think it was was it mid to late 2000s. Two... 2000s I think it was sometime in the I think I was century. I think I think we were still in school what's that yeah, the, the, I hand feet, sure. man.
2: the the brown hand hmm? feet man <laughs> with the sticks.
1: but I, I think of 90s adverts and I, I think of uh, the, the Guinness advert is obviously the most noble one but there was also um, they're all
2: great at Guinness I don't think Guinness it, do bad adverts
1: no they don't but was it tango that did the fucking the giant orange running around no no
2: well, was people. the one dude who used to go up to people and slap them and say you've been tangoed yes, and then people yes. started doing it in, people, kids started doing yes, it in playgrounds. And then they switched it from uh him slapping people to then him kissing people. And I was like, oh great. So we've gone from like GBH to uh sexual assault now. Top top <laughs> whoop, work. Whoop.
1: Uh and then obviously the 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 PlayStation adverts which are still
0: Playstation the adverts. The uh the dime adverts. I like armadillos Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. The uh it's Ambrosia were classics mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything we
1: specific to to Ireland that we didn't get?
0: Well, might... the the one we talked about a few months on ago on the show. Do you remember the um the the Seven Samurai kind of uh, Smithix advert. Nah, that one's over me. Trippy. Don't do we, remember that one. Do you remember, I, I sent you the I sent you the video. Um, I, no, it was I, like, I remembered.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, it was the the guys who did the anime uh, the animation oh, for Oh yes, uh, she did Akira. Send it to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's
2: yeah, a yeah. like anime advert with samurai in it for like a, a medium quality stout, right?
0: Yeah, at the very end, it's just, like, it, there's no indication whatsoever what it's for. It just looks like samurai in a kind of uh, dystopian metropolis, and then at the very end, it's just smithics.
1: Though sometimes <laughs> they are the most effective adverts. Like, the, the gorilla one with the drumming and the cabries, I mean, it's just like, hey, here's a gorilla drumming, like, for a minute, and then just cabries. I do think that they are the most effective ones. Like, even the, the Guinness one with the guy surfing, I mean... There's nothing there until the end. It's like, hey, you're drinking Guinness. So I do think that that um, complete segregation between like what the actual product
2: you're trying to sell and whatever comes before, I don't know. I think they work. It does annoy me that um, adverts are artistic and can be artistic when they're like flagrantly promoting product. Like You kind of almost feel like there's a, there's, a, there's a coolness and a cleverness to what they're doing. But at the same time, you're like, oh, yeah, they're just trying to sell something.
0: I, one of the most kind of lasting impacts I've noticed uh, of advertising on a particular product that's kind of ingrained a particular attitude or mentality about something is Diet Coke because like Diet Coke in the 90s I think you'll remember being exclusively hawked by sexy builders and window cleaners yeah
2: there was that one advert where there was a the one rolling down the hill and it landed with a yeah. guy with no shirt on and I'm like oh come on man
0: yeah, so like growing up, and like I said on the uh, before on the show, so I'm I'm diabetic, and like so when I would go out and people would like you know we'd have a bit of food and or you'd order a Coke or something like that, and this is before the the heyday of Coke Zero came in, um, well it was still the kind of like era where people were proper lads in it, and everybody was like you would still encounter people who would, would see anything that was perceived as effeminate as, Ugh. so every so often I'd order a Diet Coke and you'd get the look of, oh, you're one of them, are you? It's crazy, to, <laughs> it's it's like, crazy to think
2: that. And to be yeah. fair, my uh, my objection to the advert was never it was a guy with no shot and it was more like, why don't I look like that? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> if I drink Diet Coke, will I look like
2: that? I'm like, come on, man, this is setting an unfair precedent for what men should look like.
1: Yeah. You you mentioned in there about um, like adverts and, and artistic merit or whatever, but I mean I was watching a documentary a couple of weeks ago about Salvador Dali. And, uh, <laughs> this is definitely a right turn. There's a point to it. There's a point to it. You know, like the most one of the most famous surrealist artists of all time, and he actually he did um, he was um, commissioned to do a couple of adverts. Like one was for I think like a chocolate bar, and the other was I can't remember what it was for exactly. But it was within – so the the chocolate one was just him looking at the camera just shouting about this chocolate. So it wasn't that <laughs> – nothing to it.
2: Really. I, Salvador Dali, command yeah. you to consume <laughs> this dairy milk bar and then just hold but, it up.
1: But the first one was very much within – like, if you can imagine Salvador Dali, other than the fact there were no melting clocks in, in the picture or in the advert yeah. – but it was very much like yeah this is what i'd imagine salvador dali dali doing an advert. Mohammed salvador weird as fuck. dali. it was just completely like yeah all right this is a surrealist advert that obviously you know dali has done. so i don't know i mean if you can get someone like dali to do an advert maybe you could say there is artistic merit to to commercials if you can try and you know
2: i mean no there is that's why i'm like i'm always torn because i'm like i really appreciate this excellent piece of media but at the same time... Fuck capitalism. Yeah, yeah, it's trying to sell me a product, and I'm like, eh. Do you know, one of the recent ones that I really enjoyed was the one that was, just because I love the song, it was like Fleetwood Mac uh, everywhere, and it was like a, a Shetland pony doing a weird moonwalk type thing, which, and for some reason, that just stuck with me for ages. Yeah.
0: Uh, I, I think some some of the stuff that ages the poorest, and it's something that we've talked about before, is that stuff, like I was saying, like Dyke like, Cove, when the stuff that... um exposes some uh, poor attitudes a lot of people had back at the time. Like, the prevalence of, like, lad culture and stuff like that is really gross to look back on and to think about how recently that stuff was all still on TV. Like, the Yorkie It's Not For Girls stuff, and um, what brand was it that was, like, proper man crisps?
2: Remember those? Uh, was that McCoy's?
0: I think it might have been, Yeah. That kind of stuff is just like, ooh. And then, yeah, the other side of things, you have stuff like Mark was saying, you know, proper, like, stuff with artistic merit. Or I, I, I always, yeah, do love the, the celebrity endorsement of stuff. <laughs>
2: Salvador Dali, are you going to get into? Yeah.
0: It's, like... It, even just the i'm salvador dali, <laughs> that's, that's what i mean
2: from, i salvador i just imagine yeah. him like really intense when your delivery of
0: that reminds me of and this is like we've gone from so sexy diet coke adverts into salvador dali and now i'm going to take us to the, the the tom cruise film valkyrie um <laughs> <laughs> when uh like on a, on a uh like a college night in we were all drunkenly watching valkyrie because it had just come out i think and uh we had pitched how much better that movie, because it's, like, a very run-of-the-mill film, and, like, how much better would the ending have been if, you know, as there's that scene with, like, the bomb in the briefcase as they're all standing around the table and he's beside Hitler. And, like, how amazing would it have been if in that moment breaking with, like, kind of in the way that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Glorious Bastards does, where it breaks with what the actual historical narrative is and just, like, Tom Cruise, like, pulls out a pistol and just... Pops one into Hitler's head, then dead pans down the camera and says, "I, Tom Cruise, have killed Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Credits.
2: I, Tom Cruise, have destroyed <laughs> yeah. Hitler." And then he just ascends into the sky, and that's the end yeah. of the movie. Kind of like you know, Poochie's gone back to his home planet style.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that that became a running joke with a group of friends I had, where like that would be the uh, the perfect ending to all movies.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, Tom Cruise, have solved world hunger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, look, uh, we're, we're,
0: apart from from uh, television advertising, Dave, you got to introduce
2: uh, me to this goddamn podcast. Oh God, this yeah, may be geez. the longest. <laughs> this may be the longest we've ever gone without. <laughs> God,
0: off the rails. Yeah, it's the the Roman Reigns of audio who himself has aligned with Paul Heyman this week. It's Jack Lazell, and Jack. Before you even speak again, may I uh, congratulate you on the one
2: year anniversary of Bubbly Number Five? <laughs> yeah, I was just. I don't know what. Uh, possessed me to go onto my Twitter profile yesterday, but I noticed it had been a year since the. Uh... <laughs> a question I ask myself every day. <laughs> I noticed it had been a year since the old uh, Jericho Bubbly number five tweet mashup. So, yeah, I, I, I can't believe that's been a year. I also uh, I...
1: appreciate that that tweet uh, coincides with my uh, working anniversary because, uh, yeah, it was my one year anniversary <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so, <laughs> so you much... started
2: on Bubbly Day? I started
1: what a on day, day for everyone. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you need a. You need to figure something out from that date, mate.
0: Yeah. Well, I saw your bubbly tweet that day. <laughs> I, I,
2: I, I saw you putting it together behind the scenes. I, so. <laughs> that's true. I noticed that um, friend of the show, Ian C and friend of the show, uh, Barry Murphy, both retweeted their bubbly-related memes after I, I sent mine out as well. So I like to think I created <laughs> like a little chain reaction of, of people remembering the bubbly. Yeah, but they didn't get those retweeted by Jericho, did they? Uh... No, but Barry's, I think, got more likes than mine just because it had more of a mainstream if appeal only,
0: if If only Jack, with the way things have panned out in the three hundred and sixty five days since you could go back to the Jack Lazelle that was putting together that meme and say, "Oh, my sweet summer child, you have no idea what is to come for you <laughs> this This bubbly meme will be the peak of the next three hundred and sixty five days for the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh, oh, was. We got that Mario announcement yesterday. I yeah, mean, that more, is, more, yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: that is the top. A an array of sunlight cracking through the darkness, yeah. for sure. Um, But yeah, I was just about to, to introduce the segment where we, we talk about the, the shit we've seen lately. Uh, I'll do that in a much more ham-fisted way now that, that Jack interrupted my flow. So we'll start with Jack. Um, Yourself and Mark, you've both seen uh Chris Nolan's latest epic, or is it, Tennis, yes which was kind of it was a source of controversy now i i will note i haven't seen this film though i do intend to at some point in the near future now that my area's local lockdown has officially ended yay um but it, it courted some controversy because chris nolan seemed like fucking intent on this movie coming out like a month or so ago uh and basically had to be guilted and cajoled into not releasing a movie at the height of the pandemic in the us um but it has come out now in kind of outside of north america i think next week or the week after it's out in america um you've both seen it you both had your uh you both now return to the cinema in the the post-covid time uh do you, do you want to talk maybe for a couple of minutes first? I, I'd want to hear what your cinema experience was like in this brave new world, and then about the film.
2: So in terms of that, it, was, it wasn't too bad, really. It's only, like, two stops on the train, walked in there, they said everyone needs to wear a mask inside, uh, to which I would say about two-thirds of people maybe had a mask on, other people didn't, and were just walking around kind of unchallenged, so there's that. Um, but yeah, there was about... 30 uh, or 40 people I think in my screen and uh, there's about 200 seats so it wasn't too bad everyone was spaced out quite well uh, took the mask off during the film mainly so I could sip my matcha latte which I bought from the woman at Starbucks She was very happy to see me back because I've, I've bought many a coffee there let me tell you in the last few years uh, and yeah sat down IMAX screen and It was just nice to be back in the cinema, Dave. It's something I've really missed. It's like a real peaceful... I hate to use the word bubble, because I think bubbles forever been ruined. But it is like a nice peaceful bubble away from reality and, you know, looking... Especially since the pandemic, like, we're just constantly surrounded by TVs and devices and everyone's working from home and there's always something going on. So it was nice to just have two hours, just focus solely on one thing. And, uh, yeah, Tenet. Uh, I enjoyed Tenet. I thought it was a very ambitious, very interesting movie. I think it's probably closest in terms of being a brethren of one of his other movies to Inception, in that you've got a very high concept thing, and you are ext- like you're creating several set pieces that are based purely on the the coolness of the cinematography and the flow. There were some really great performances notably Kenneth Branagh who surprise surprise is absolutely going for it as like a Russian oligarch who can uh, who can contact has, the future
0: has, has that man ever given it less than a 12
2: Uh no and, and don't expect less than a, th- a 13 or a 14 in this movie but it kind of works because he is playing a bit of a megalomaniac so you know it's it's an effect and performance all the same john david washington is 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 fucking cool but i think my my main knocks against it are that sometimes it can be a little confusing as to how things are happening what the sort of rules of this universe are um and just generally, you, you do feel a little bit lost. And I'm a guy that really kind of concentrates when I watch films and, and and pay a lot of attention. And I I always kind of had a a real solid grasp of, of what was happening and why it was happening. But you know, it's because you're seeing scenarios without spoiling anything. By the way, played out forwards and backwards, which you get a little bit of in the trailer. So yeah, not spoiling anything. Uh it doesn't really click until maybe two thirds of the way through the movie when you see something happen in reverse that you're like, okay, cool. This is this is the direction that they're going with that. Like for instance, there's within the first um, fifteen minutes that there, there's a scene where they kind of explain the theory of these like, and there's no other better way of saying this, reverse bullets, where <laughs> John David Washington's handed a, a, a gun. And he fires the gun, and the bullet jumps out of a piece of rock and back into the gun. And you're, like, thinking, cool, reverse bullets. Like, how the fuck is this happening? And then they kind of don't really go back to reverse bullets too much after that, apart from, like, maybe one scene. But then you, you've already figured out, uh, yeah. I I immediately thought, like, surely if you don't want to get killed by a reverse bullet, you just uh, stay away from bullet holes uh, and there were only there was like one point in the movie where there were some bullet holes, and I was thinking to myself to John livewood watching, like that don't go near the they go near those bullet holes. those are reverse bullets <laughs> um but <laughs> yeah, I
0: <laughs> what a world to have been thinking of that sentence
2: exactly uh yeah, I you know there have been some things about the sound mix and stuff which I'm sure Mark's going to talk about because I, I saw one of his complaints. And it didn't really bug me too much. I think seeing it in IMAX, the sound was just so overwhelmingly great and the mix kind of wasn't too muddy for me, really. But I could see if you were seeing it in a movie or in a cinema where maybe you didn't have that quality of um, sound system, it it might be a bit on the muddy side. Uh, But, yeah, it it was a good movie. did it quite hit everything that I wanted it to hit. Not really is it one of the coolest spectacles that I'm going to see for a while? 100%. And is it one of the coolest high concept things I've seen for a while? 100%. It was, I'm going to give it the old four stars out of five, just for being extremely ambitious, but not quite delivering to a normal normal Nolan standard. And, and to be fair, that's probably maybe two thirds of the way down of the, his list of movies, because he's that good that he's got that many yeah. movies that are sort of like above that four star marker
0: and it's the, it's one of the things that makes him um one of the most beloved directors going today that uh, also kind of is one of his big flaws in a way. Uh, kind of as you outlined there that he's a guy who doesn't overexplain things to his audience. No. You know, he he doesn't dumb things down and when it works it's great because you feel like wow you're you're in on a very high concept thing. I think the the best execution of it for me is still The Prestige.
2: Yeah that's a very good movie. I I still think inception to me it is yeah, my favorite. Incep-
0: oh, inception inception is fantastic, but I, I, in terms of the like here is a concept that's a, a little that can be a little tough to follow, but I'm going to pull it off with uh, a an artistry and uh, a, an excellence that's just a perfect tight little package for me that, that that is best summed up in the prestige. But um yeah, when it doesn't work then you get um, as Kermode often says you get Matthew McConaughey hidden behind a bookcase um, yeah <laughs> uh, now moving over to Mark Mark firstly outlined to me what your cinema experience was like, uh, and then your take on the
1: film. So you've been to the, the Cineworld in Dublin, right? The one on Parnell Street. Uh, on, on Parnell Street, yeah. yeah. So, um, you, all of the, I don't know if it was the same for you, Jack, but, like, there's no, um, like, people working at, like, the ticket counters or anything. They've all been stripped away and
2: it's just... Now that I think about it, that's actually where I saw my last film before all this shit started. Uh, there's not been any ticket people in my cinema world for a while we just have people behind the food things so if you want a ticket you can buy it there
1: yeah so they they completely stripped that out um and so like the background floor is just a big open space um and yep like we were enforced to wear masks um up until the point that we actually got into the cinema screen itself and then you were uh, welcome to take the masks off my only main issue is that how did you book your ticket uh jack online, but I am a, a unlimited member. So. Right, same. No, I am as well. I tried to do it through the app, and doing it through the app was completely impossible. It could not figure it out at all, and I was trying to book for two people. Because it says that you need to... When you book a space, you have to make sure that there's like three seats either side of you. And some other ruling as well that just didn't seem to make sense, but then it's like, well, I can't do that if I have to book wait, with two people. How do I have two people together? And... Uh, Maria went down to the cinema to book tickets because we just couldn't figure out on the app in the end. And the person there says, yeah, the app isn't great. You have to do it online. And when I did it online, it, there was no issues booking for the two of us to sit together. Um, but definitely doing it through the app, just just it wasn't working. Do you know that's kind of
0: similar to the Odeon app is very like that where we're on occasion, it's grand to book. And then sometimes the app has an absolute shit fit. Well, and- is,
1: I never had issues until this time because of whatever rolling they try to fit into the programming i guess uh, uh,
0: yeah i also found that when i was a limitless member with, when well i still am but they've suspended the payments because they're not open but um when you try to book a limitless ticket and then a non-limitless ticket uh, sometimes right. it's like whoa whoa yeah. what the fuck <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, so you yeah, pay
0: for a cinema ticket and not pay for a cinema ticket. But uh,
1: but in terms of like the overall like experience going there, not an issue at all. Loads and loads of space um, in the actual screening itself. I uh, they they've been uh, revamping the the Cineworld and Parnell Street, so we were in a, like a brand new uh, screen. And I don't know if it's like the the brand new screening they haven't figured out the the sound mix yet or whatever the deal was, but. Um, of the myriad of issues I have with this film, uh, definitely the biggest one is that a large portion of this film, I couldn't hear what people were saying. Um, and some of that might have just been Nolan's direction. Some of it might have just been the, the, the cinema screen I was in. A lot of it is because people are wearing masks or are on like speed boats or are doing a Ukrainian accent whilst muttering under their breath. So I can't understand what the fuck they're saying.
0: Here's the thing as well is that like that's... At best, I think the third film where that same thing, yes. that same criticism yes. has been leveled because Dunkirk, it's it's a thing with, with Tom Hardy and the plane. People find it hard to understand them. And also the Dark Knight Rises in post-production after they did the test screenings where nobody could fucking understand a word. He was Actually, it wasn't even the test screenings. It was, remember, they released the first six minutes of the film. And no one could understand what the fuck he was saying. So they had to remix the sound again uh, to make it even clearer.
1: And so this isn't the kind of film where you can sacrifice not hearing bits and pieces. Because it is a high concept film dealing with time reversal. That I need to know and hear everything that's being fucking said. And the things that I can hear being said. It's done in that kind of... They'll do this thing where... You know, when you go to uh, like the doctors and they'll give you like two sentences where they'll talk in doctor speak to describe the condition that you have. And then they'll give you like the dumbed down version that we can understand it in. It was like two hours of getting the high concept doctor speak, but none of the dumbed down stuff that could help me understand what the fuck was actually going on. And maybe it was in the times when the the dialogue was muffled that maybe the that conversation was there. But I never heard it, so for a large portion of this film, I just did not know what was going on. And hey, maybe that's on me, maybe just, I don't know, the, the film went over my head. But I don't think the film clearly explained what the fuck was going on. Other, and, and, you know, and it's down to the two factors, that half the time I couldn't hear it, and the other half they were just explaining it in that... Doctor esque way um, that I just you know I was lost and at that point I was only along for the ride of okay call me show me the the Christopher Nolan style practical action scenes that I can enjoy and that will be the most I get out of it yeah
2: um,
1: the car chase
2: I, for instance th- yeah
1: I mean the car chase is incredible like there's no and the the last half an hour of the film is incredible in terms of the action sequences I cannot deny that and I will not deny that but I think that. I actually think that most of the performances are actually pretty wooden. I mean, Brana goes over the top, and he, you know, he does what he does, and the whatever. But I, I, do think that by and large, I, I kind of felt like a lot of the people in this film also didn't know what the fuck was going on, and that sort of translated across to me. Um, and that might just be my own like take on it.
2: Here's my I, here's my issue, and um, with the characters and. But, like i think you might agree with it and it's an it may be a Nolan problem in general uh it's just that they weren't really developed like for instance like that's a, that's a huge problem i have with yeah, lot john Wilson, of of he's his just stuff. the protagonist he doesn't actually get a name uh and yeah. yeah like it
0: it it feels a lot of the time like his characters are just tools to deliver his visuals
2: <laughs> yeah which i mean i, I I'm not watching a Christopher Nolan movie for, you know, emotional development, though. That's that's the thing. I, I, I kind of... I'm kind of au fait with with the situation and how it works, but I could I see don't know, that it would annoy I, someone I, otherwise.
1: I got um, development and, and that sort of stuff. I got that out of Dunkirk. I think he did a really good job with the characters in Dunkirk. Um, and I think he is possible of it. He's possible of doing that sort of stuff. And as much as I fucking despise Interstellar, and I think I'm actually still seeing that film as we speak. I do think that, like, the main concept of Matthew McConaughey's character, I think there is character and emotional development with with that character. But definitely in this film here, it really, for me, felt there was like, okay, here are the big action sequences, and here is this concept I have. I now have to somehow cram some sort of plot that gets from A to B to C. And I just all of the bits in between just none of it flowed or made sense in any kind of way that i got to the last half an hour of the film and i really was like tempted to just leave the cinema because like i don't know what's going on and i don't care uh and you know when i get when you get to that kind of point it's hard to just keep on watching because you're like well i'm getting to the end of the film here and this is where this big climax big climactic piece is going to happen and i just don't care at this point because nothing up until this point has made any sense for me to care uh, about this bit um so yeah so i came away super super um disappointed Uh, i think robert patterson was good for like his actual acting and his performance i don't know what he is in the film like what his kind of real purpose is like that was all just a mess to me um so yeah overall i i was just yeah i came away just i didn't uh despise it in the same way that i despised interstellar um but i yeah i i have no time for for tenant really at the end of the day so i'll be very curious to see what you think Dave, when you see it um but yeah not good for me i i give it a two out of five mm.
0: um <clears throat> so two things i've been watching uh one that i think uh jack will be chipping in on but the, the first i'll mention um i started watching the hbo series. i'll be gone in the dark um so this is a TV show uh, well a documentary series based on a book based on a crime blog um and what it's about is um a, a crime writer who who had been a crime blogger uh, named Michelle McNamara who was the um the the now deceased wife of uh, Patton Oswald, the comedian. And she was kind of a, a true crime blogger by hobby and kind of trying to, to crack into, uh, like, getting published and, and things like that. So she was doing a lot of kind of homework on, on, on serial killers and true crime cases and things like that. And she uncovers this um, this this criminal called the the original Night Stalker or the, the Golden State Killer or I can't remember he has, uh, the East Area Rapist he's known as as well, um who she describes at one point in 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 her her journals as kind of like the most prolific unknown serial killer operating in, in the US. He was this guy who had like an, an inordinate amount of uh, assaults and murders associated with him with the same kind of MO and things like that across the 70s and 80s. And no one ever really kind of did the same kind of, you know, uh, hunt for him or or high profile like there is a serial killer in the area kind of stuff that you get with like a a son of Sam or anybody like that he kind of you know when you hear son of Sam or you hear Dammer or you hear Bundy people know who that is but they wouldn't know who the original Night Stalker or the East Area Rapist is she was was kind of surprised to uncover this litany of crimes that nobody seemed to know about anymore so she sets about trying to solve this crime um, and obviously you know over the years of trying to solve it and then publishing this book about it and she passes away right as the book is about to come out um so the documentary is about her life about the the case and about how um basically her and the online true crime communities push to get this crime solved is what actually got it attention and got police to start working on it again. Um, I think it's a six-part series, and I'm, I'm two episodes into it so far. But if that's your kind of thing, like, if, if you like those those short docu-series like The Jinx or or anything like that that's been on HBO or, or Showtime in the last few but years... millions. Yeah, anything like that, I think this will be for you. It's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of kind of... um. Patton uh, Oswald is like kind of one of the main interviewees in it and kind of is really good at providing context about him being like he's a guy who like he was married to her and he was around as she was solving all this stuff and he's like you know I can see her passion and this is what she was working on and stuff like this but at the same time he's just like Uh, this is not my world (laughs) you know like he's just like throwing his hands up and going like this is all her i'm just the guy who's coming in looking at like oh what fucked up shit are you researching tonight dear um so yeah it's a it's a really good documentary series with with a a, a real heart to it as well because it's it's such a sad story about her passing away and uh her and Patton had a young daughter as well and and stuff like that yeah I, i i really really like that so far it's really interesting um because i i have the the book but just never started it and i was hoping oh if i if i dip into the docuseries it'll give me the kind of interest to read more about it so i'm hoping that's that that's what will happen the other thing uh i've been watching uh is the uh the (laughs) the jose Mourinho daniel levy propaganda epic all or nothing tottenham hotspur the the new amazon series uh, the first three episodes of which dropped early this week and uh, i've been talking for a few minutes now so i'll, I'll shoot over to, to jack first uh jack how much of this have you seen and what have you thought of it i saw
2: i saw all of it basically the day it came out i just i watched it yeah but <laughs> i was pretty sure that you did as well yeah both of us just went right okay <laughs> yeah so there's only three parts out so far but yeah it's, it's all or nothing and they've made uh there's there's going to be nine parts, isn't it? Yeah, there? I think nine. They usually do nine or ten, but they came out with a documentary series about Man City before this, and it was so dull because they just won the league that year. And I guess if you're a Man City fan, you're like, oh, great, yeah. It's so much more entertaining to watch a documentary series about things that go wrong at a football club, right? So, Sunderland till I die is on Netflix. Uh, watch it. There's a documentary called The Four Year Plan about QPR and it's an hour and a half long and fuck me, is it one of the best things I've ever seen. Everything flies apart, all the owners are fighting with each other, they're all appointing people and sacking people and it's great. So the Spurs one held the intrigue of of being a documentary about a team that had just got to the Champions League final, admittedly, but then had an awful start to the season, lost their manager and then brought in... Uh, Jose Mourinho, who had just acrimoniously departed from from Manchester United about sort of seven or eight months before this, uh, in a big cloud of smoke, as he tends to leave a football club. Uh, and my word, if this whole thing, uh, so Pochettino, who is the the manager, who's had this, I can't call it a, a sustained period of success, but a sustained period of growth at this football club to sort of transform them from, you know, also Rans into genuine at times contenders even if never quite getting over the line uh and he gets about five to ten minutes of play at the start where they're like hey this pochettino guy he was pretty awesome right anyway sack now here's jose and then i would say dave conservatively 70 80 percent of the the screen time for the, the rest of the documentary is jose Mourinho on the screen if he's either shouting or he's swearing. Or he's telling Harry Kane that he's the greatest thing in the world. Or I'm getting some seriously creepy vibes off Daniel Levy when he's talking to Jose. He's almost looking at him like that heart eyes emoji where he's just looking at him like, oh Jose, I love you so much every time he's yeah. like on the but screen that, that, and in the same room with it, him.
0: It does sound like he had that with Poch as well though, because like if you read um I've I've heard people when, when Potch got the sack, people were kind of referring to excerpts from Potch's book. Uh, where him and Daniel Levy would go on fishing trips and talk about life and the, and the universe and philosophy and things like that. So, like, I think, like, when, you know, when, when Levy's into a manager, he is into a manager. But, yeah, like, even though you say, like, it shows Jose swearing and shouting and things like that, Something I'm very conscious of, uh, and especially given everything that happened when he was at my club and everything that happened probably towards the end of both his tenures at your club, the fact that even when he's shouting and swearing, so far 100% of this documentary shows him in a pretty positive light, uh, tells me that there's a very particular point of view and a a certain chairman of Tottenham Hotspur... Uh, almost certainly, and it was confirmed by somebody who was uh, reviewing it this week. Uh, I was reading. Uh, had basically final say on the edit.
2: Yeah, it feels like a propaganda piece about about Mourinho more than anything else. But the thing is, though, all that aside, Dave, wasn't this just so fucking fascinating to watch? It it's it's
0: even when you're conscious that it is a propaganda piece, it is very interesting. To see the version of Jose Mourinho that Jose wants to put forward, um, I find that interesting. I find, <clears throat> I I find the way some football players act when the cameras are there versus how a lot of stories coming out of that club this season say they acted is very interesting, um. I find it very interesting how completely, as we say, how completely cut out and rushed past all the Pochettino stuff is. Like, there's definitely some sort of an agreement. Is like we're we're not going to show the absolute shit show that that was at the end, uh, so that all parties will be happy about it. Um, something I think of a lot is um, Christian Eriksson who was basically one of the people who majorly threw their toys out of the pram towards the end of Poch. A guy who essentially downed tools, and then when Jose arrived, was almost immediately frozen out of the team. Uh, him being shown being like nice and quiet and respectful in this, when you know everybody was like he was being an absolute weapon. Uh, around the club, and no one wants him there anymore. He definitely didn't want to be there. I don't there. know,
2: man. A lot of this documentary his body language is subtly saying, I can't be arsed with any of this. Like, there's one thing where they were like talking about, you know, who was playing or who was on the bench or whatever. And Mourinho's giving a talk, and like Ericsson's just there in his training kit. And like he, you know, you hear about a thousand-yard stare. This is a, this is a thousand-kilometer stare. Like he is in another dimension to whatever's going on yeah. in that room. Um, I, I also love um Eric Dyer's sad face when he gets hauled off after half an hour.
0: Yeah, Eric Dyer's sad face. I love um. I I one thing that that really cut through the the propaganda of it all for me is my my certainty just based on the way he's acting and how frustrated he comes across at points in this documentary, is uh, the Spurs aren't gonna have Harry Kane much longer if they don't get the ship straight and in order because that guy seems to be like approaching the end of his tether with not winning trophies.
2: Do you know what? He, there's a lot of Harry Kane swearing in this documentary. And it feels a bit like, you know, like someone's little brother who's just learned swear words, but isn't really sure how to use them. So he just sort of like, yeah, fucking lads, come on. We need a fucking yeah, win we a fucking a fuck on them. game for <laughs> fucking fuck. Like, And I'm like, man, like, t- t- seriously, it just doesn't sound natural coming out of his mouth. Like he is not he he might he might be a leader by example but he is not a leader by speech uh a lot of his stuff i i felt very cringy when i was watching harry kane try and give these like you know optimistic but angry speeches yeah. like roy keen i not, sure. not
0: yeah it feels uh that he has a level of discomfort with that kind of aggressive leadership role um, and I don't know whether it's a thing where he'd prefer to be a voice, but not the, the captain. You know, like you hear a lot about Paul Pogba, where he he likes being an inspirational figure, but not the inspirational figure, not the captain. You see the videos of him for France where he's not the captain, but he likes to chip in with, with some encouragement here and there that might be a thing that Harry Kane would prefer rather than being the man with the armband that everybody turns to uh the the nicest part of the first three episodes so far for me is uh the the genuine camaraderie of Vertonghen and Alderweireld yeah
2: that was really sweet I I like that and I also like the conversation about toothpaste and toothbrushes because it really (laughs) reminded me like they're all getting massages and they're like oh do you uh you know do you do you wet your toothbrush before you use it or do you just put the toothpaste straight on? And the, the mundanity of that conversation, it was very much a footballers are just like us kind of moment where, you know, you stand around and have these absolute pointless conversations, what you used to, but back in the day when people worked actually in the same building, Uh, you know, just to get you through the day. And I thought that was quite nice. But yeah, for Tongan and Aldeweireld, there was definitely a bromance going on there.
0: Yeah, the other two things I wanted to mention is like there's one point where Jose, uh, he's talking to Deli Ali, Deli Ali, who you know, speaking of the toothpaste conversation, is one of the most fascinating characters in this thing to me. But uh, there's a point at which he says, you know, the one thing Alex Ferguson ever told me in my entire time at Manchester United was sign Deli Ali, and I I listened to him say that, and I went bollocks, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know which side of the bollocks I'm leaning on. I don't know whether I go he definitely didn't say that, or that's definitely not the only thing he said to you in three years at that club. Uh, I, I, There's definitely something fishy and very exaggerated about that. And it's just interesting, rather than him just going, I rate you, it's like he invokes the name of... Uh, sir alex ferguson to talk about you know to try and big it it kind
2: uh, of works because as illustrated in the documentary there was this sort of resurgence of form from deli alley when Mourinho first came in which massively fell off a cliff towards the back end of the season so i think as the episodes come out it's going to be really interesting to pivot because things are going pretty well uh up to the point. And then this the last episode they were beaten 2 0 at New White Hart Lane by a Chelsea football club of, of all of all great football clubs. Uh and I know for quite a while basically from that defeat up until uh the coronavirus break, they were super, super inconsistent and, and they were actually pretty decent when football restarted. So that'll be fun to see like how internally football dealt with the coronavirus. Um and I hope they have a long bit about it just because it'd be interesting to see that and that's like quite a recent development. Uh I also my final thing is uh the bit in his first or second
0: training session where he's trying to shout at Kyle Walker Peters and he goes, Is it Walker or is it Peters? And he goes, Walker Peters and he goes, that's too long for me. It's and like fucking I,
2: hell man. I'm not saying all those names.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I just want I just want somebody to edit that 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 clip where it's just like it's him doing that and going, "That's too long for me," and then smash cut to the headlines of when Walker Peters was sold. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I'm so not fucked saying your full name
2: that I'm just gonna sell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't. I don't know how he took that. I guess because it's Mourinho, he's probably just like, "Oh yeah, he can do that." But I think uh, you know if someone did that to you in a, in a real workplace, I I don't think it would go down too well.
0: No. Uh, but yeah look we'll park that for now I think they're releasing three episodes every is it week or two I think weeks? they're weekly from now on. Yeah cool Um, so we'll, we'll give our updates as we're getting through that season because myself and Jack uh, we love that football documentary content so we won't be long about getting to watch it. Staringly um, I have no hot takes
1: to provide as I've not watched
0: it <laughs> well you will on our next segment my friend so I'm I going to get my stuff out of the way first with games because there's one big thing that, we, that we're going to be talking about Um, I haven't really been playing a a huge amount of stuff, but, uh, I am, uh, I I am going to be in future episodes giving reports on the Avengers game. Uh, I, I didn't, I'm happy to say I didn't pay any money for this game. I, I just traded in stuff and got it. Um, I, I heard a lot of people like Danny O'Dwyer and a few other people who like, I I would, I would trust their takes on games saying that the campaign in that Avengers game is actually pretty good. So with good writing and I was like, okay okay right and i love kamala khan miss marvel who is one of the main characters in it so i was like right i'll give it a go and just trade this straight back in if i don't like it so you'll be getting some updates in coming weeks uh on that one and then the other thing uh i was saying this to to mark off the air jack you dramatically
2: undersold how much bonus content is in hitman 2 Uh, dude no dude i i I really didn't i i tried to tell you how good the expansions were like the two bonus levels uh the bank and and the the resort are are, are fucking incredible they're like in my top maybe in my top 10 of of all the hitman levels yeah but like there's there's like what is it four to five whole new maps uh no i think it's just the two in terms of, of of new maps but You've got, like... There's, like, New York and... Yeah, that's the bank.
0: There's, like... And the resort. I, I, I could swear I saw... I could swear I saw four after the Isle of Seagal or whatever it's called. Um, But regardless, I'm downloading all of it right now. Good. <laughs> as, as we speak. I saw someone tweet about it and I was like, I don't recognise that at all from Hitman 2. Uh, and I thought it was Hitman 3 preview footage. Uh, and it turns out it wasn't. So I'm excited that I have now a lot more Hitman to play. Dave, um, that bank level
2: is is beyond phenomenal. It's so good, like it, it, it's class, man. Like, uh, and nobody really. I don't. I almost feel like IO just have uh, become this. Uh, aside from all the buzz when the initial Hitman ca- game came out, I think they've just been sort of gradually drip feeding content. Every level has had like you know five or six different new strands of story and objectives added to it they kept on doing the elusive targets you know up until gone like a year after the game came out they really were putting a lot of effort in um it's not even a games as a service type deal for them as well it's just if you own hitman you get all of this stuff for free and they just keep putting the content through so
1: yeah Do you worry it, though that there's um with all of this stuff, and maybe with Hitman Three, because I know you know you are a real high man with Hitman Two, but you feel that there's even with all of the content that they add in these new levels, you still feel like there's any kind of law of diminishing returns nope. because it is it is <laughs> Hit what <laughs> Yeah, right, not yeah. even a that question. Of but you know, it's the concept is the same. Just obviously the the dressing and everything that goes on within is is radically different.
2: Yeah, I know. But Mario jumps on Goombas and has hats, and uh, yes, but also the platforming does feel very different between each of the games. Yeah, but then the hideous murders feel very different, and you've got different things. So that's the cool thing is that they'll set up new targets in different parts of levels. They'll have, like, night versions of levels where they change all of the locations of the NPCs that access the different areas of the level and set up, like, this whole new scenario that will bring to life parts of levels that, up to that point, you probably hadn't really spent much time on, like... uh, What they did with Sapienza, there was, like, three or four different scenarios aside from the sort of... Uh, critical path version of the Sapienza map that that were just completely different like you know one centered around a political rally in the town square one they did at night and there's one that involved somebody in the church and you ended up killing with the church spire in a horrific way and i I should should just state by the way i'm purely
1: playing devil's advocate i'm not uh trying to
2: you know. I, oh no I, I, I know I just I feel I, I give like a, a really fair appraisal I know obviously yeah, it's no not necessarily enough. a fair appraisal because you know I'm in the bag as it were not even <laughs> half in the bag I'm fully in the bag for Hitman um, so yeah I, I, I think what they do with the game and how they put how they put all this additional stuff in there there really isn't too much stuff uh, like it uh, that don't require proper season passes you know so they're just a fucking cool company io and um, i
1: I think we're up to about 20 percent of every episode we've done of link to the cast has heaped praise on hitman at some
2: point that's because it fucking rules (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) feel free to tweet me at jack laser if you don't like hitman and tell me why and i will tell you that you are wrong
0: Much like the release of Hitman Levels, once a month we have to come back to Hitman and talk about how great Hitman is. Uh, Look, lads, we're uh, 50 minutes into the show and we have yet to to, uh, address the elephant in the room. So I'm just going to sit back. I'll say I bought this game today. It's my first time owning any version of this franchise. So I'll be able to chip in in the weeks to come. Well, I was going to say,
1: Dave, instead of... I don't want to just throw off your your, uh, plans and scheduling. Uh, My two games won't take too long. So shall I just like go through them pretty quickly and then we can end with tony hawks because then me and yep. jack can kind of spitball of each other because i got to play a fair bit of, of tony hawks today so i think we should end with yeah. that um, it's like you're just keeping me on it may, <laughs> it, it may take you the full second era of this program to get through just totally yeah Hawk. and i'm sure we'll probably talk even more about tony hawks next week as well uh, there's two things i want to bring up uh, one is Spirit spiritfarer which uh, was uh, announced in the Nintendo Direct, uh, Indie Direct they had a couple of weeks ago, uh, that I got on Game Pass, because long live Game Pass, the greatest thing of 2020. And it is this very light platforming, but mostly management sim, where you play this young girl who somehow has ended up being the job of shepherding people uh, the spirits of people that have like reincarnated as animals and taken them to their that the afterlife I guess um and it is presented in this almost studio Ghibli um, sense of like the the animation but also just this kind of it has a charm to it that very much fits into what you 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 would expect in a, in a studio Ghibli uh, film. And uh, I've been enjoying it. I've, I've done about five or six hours of it. And it's, you know, you're on a boat and you can go between these different islands. So, you know, you you have the map and you can kind of put, set a path to this island over here. And as you go towards the island, um, you can, on the back of the boat, you can, you know, fish, you can uh, talk to the animals uh, on the, the boat and you can see how they're doing. And you have to try and keep their morale up so you can feed them, you can hug them, um, all these kind of different things. So you're constantly active, you know, you don't just kind of stand there and wait to go from point A to, to point B. Uh, and you can construct different rooms on this boat. So, you know, you start off with like a kitchen and uh, and a kind of common room for, for the spirits. But you can then build like specific rooms for each of the spirits. You can build like a uh, textiles rooms to, to take your material and turn it into different uh, like actual materials they can use to then build more rooms uh, there's like a garden on the boat that you can grow different vegetables uh, there's an oven that you can cook different dishes with There isn't you know it's just okay throw some carrots in there and out comes carrot cake whatever the case may be um, there's nothing too involved there about throwing a bunch of different ingredients in there and like breath of the wild and seeing what comes out um, but it does do the, um, Stardew Valley thing where each of the spirits has, like, their likes and dislikes. So, there's, like, this frog that just fucking, just, you throw any type of food at it. It's like, yeah, give me more food, yeah. Um, but then there's a, a snake that is, a uh, vegan. So, you know, I've basically been just feeding the snake popcorn for the last three hours. Um, and they all have, like, their personalities and their quirks. And again, it's just, it's very charming and it's a, it's, it's, with management sims, they can be a bit stressful, but this one is very soothing, very relaxing. The the, the one thing that I wanted to point out that um, I was thinking about for the last week, mainly for Jack, is that, you know in Studio Ghibli films, uh, when in the, the music, you'll just get those little kind of trills of the piano um, that kind of leads into whatever. The people behind this game have definitely watched their Ghibli films because the, those piano trills are all over the place. Uh, and it's 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 utterly gorgeous. Um, I've I really just like I can sit there for an hour and just kind of get lost into it. I think it's a bit slow. Um, I'm really kind of waiting for it to get to like the next bit of the game because there is a level of what I feel was just the the introduction to each of the mechanics and introducing me to each of the characters. Like there's the shark that works at the shipyard that you can go to to uh, upgrade bits of your boat. There's um, uh, I think it's a raccoon. It looks like a raccoon. This massive raccoon, who's uh, like, like a shop trader that you can buy different ingredients from, and it's been slowly sort of like saying, "Hey, this is where you do this. This is where you do that." Uh, but it's it's really pretty. It's really nice, and I want to spend more time with it. But I do, as I'm sitting playing it, it's it's I'm just I'm waiting for it to get to the next bit, and I hope it does that soon because I can see myself just like leaving it to the side to play you know tony hawks or whatever the case and not come back to it and i don't want to do that because i do want to spend more time with it um so yeah spirit fairer is it's it's really good uh, so far from what i've played with it and um the other thing i've been playing i played the first chapter of tell me why which is the new game from don't Nod. is it don't Nod studios is it is it studios I, I can't
2: yeah don't Nod uh, yeah. the other guys who make
1: did life is strange yeah. Yeah. So I my experience with Life is Strange was basically I watched Dave play the first two chapters of the original Life is Strange. Um, but you know, twenty twenty is the year that Mark gets into narrative games apparently. Um, so I wanted to and the fact is on Game Pass as well, obviously. So I thought I would jump in and uh, and chapter two is out as we speak, but I haven't gotten to it yet. And so it gives you a full-on disclaimer um and i'll I'll try to avoid spoilers because i imagine you two are going to play this at some point um yeah it gives you a full-on disclaimer at the start that um this game deals with like uh, some sensitive issues around um uh, trans people and and kind of things like that and that they've you know they've gone out to the people to make sure that these topics are dealt with in in the sensitive light that these topics should be dealt with. So they've, you know, they're really kind of making sure that look, we're approaching this not with the usual fucking ham-fisted approach that video games sometimes try and tackle these types of topics. The story uh, centers around uh, a brother and sister in their late twenties, and the uh, the brother uh, was originally a girl who transitioned into a boy, um, and you know it, you go from them as children then it kind of fast forwards to them as as uh, as a young pair of uh, adults And um, they have the ability to talk to each other um like t- telepathically i guess like if they stand next to each other they can hear each other's thoughts and th- you know because of the the whole thing with the the brother that that plays a key part in what the story is and there's it's kinda that of de- there's two major things at play here. There's that and there's another thing that I don't really want to talk about because it is a large portion of the plot that you need to kinda of play for yourself and let unfold. So I won't tackle that. But I do think that and, you know, I'm 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 not um transgender, so I can't speak for, you know, a transgender person playing this and their experiences, but I definitely kind of got to see and feel a little bit of what it might be to be uh, a transgender person through their eyes with like some of the reactions that they get from some of these people. Because it takes place, I think it takes place in like some sort of a very kind of quiet remote Alaskan town. So, you know, not the most progressive part of the, the world. Um, and you know you got like one older guy who's like, hey, you know, you just have to understand that us older people we're not used to all these different types of people, and you know it's just taking some time for us to adjust. And um, the the brother who's like, well, we're fucking here, so get used to it. And um, I I think that so far with what like what the plot is, uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. I I think that between. Getting the, to see to feel some of the agency of this character, and what they've been through and what they're going through, uh, and how the plot unfolds, uh, I think it's been very effective so far with that. The two things of note that I have issues with is that the actual like voice acting is it's fine in a video game sense, but. I've only really started to kind of realize this or notice this, that there's a very big difference between the way that you get voice acting in like a a Disney film. And uh, even though sometimes um, these actors aren't in the same room, though sometimes they they are, there's never that sense that, okay, here's here's one MP3 track playing. Okay, that stops. Now the next MP3 track starts playing for this person. You never get that in, in, you know, your typical Disney film, but it very much feels like that. There's that real kind of like stop-start between this person talking and this person talking, and it never flows. It never feels natural, and the actual voice acting itself is just, it's fine, but I wouldn't say it's in any way like great or compelling or, you know, the, the upper echelon of what I, I've heard in voice acting uh, in video games or otherwise. Um, And also, and I mean, maybe I'd have had this issue as well if I'd played more of Life is Strange, but the actual kind of, like, quote-unquote game part of it, from what I remember about Life is Strange, it did the whole thing with the the rewind mechanic that if you kind of fucked up something, you could rewind time and then, like, change what happened, if I'm correct, if that's how it goes.
2: Yeah, that was in the first game. That was the gimmick of Max. So what did they do in 2,
1: exactly, like, kind of (laughs) mechanic-wise?
2: Uh so so two was was more about sort of creating like it was, it was it was closer akin to matilda in the sort of um telekinetic powers rather than okay. reverse sort of time okay so i
1: wonder if it has some similarities then because currently like will tell me why in terms of like the game portion of it um you you have like your your dialogue speeches you can pick specific things that you want to say and it does the whole thing with like certain choices that you make affect what happens in in like your relationship between you and the, the the brother and sister and you know i guess whatever outcomes happen at the end of the game but um the only real like actual kind of game stuff to do there's a couple of puzzles and one of them is fucking obtuse that involves uh, a children's fairy tale that you wrote as a child with, you, with your mother. Um, that then um, you have to kind of figure out how to unlock this door using the, the novel. And it there's n- no kind of guidance there on how that you're meant to solve it. And it was extremely obtuse and took me a good 40 minutes or so to figure it out. But then there's another puzzle that I figured out within like two seconds. And then that's kind of it in terms of like other than that it's just... I'm in a room, I can go up to objects and I can interact with it and someone will talk to like explain what this is or give me more uh, world building around what this is or this person or whatever the case may be. But that's kind of it. So I, I feel it's a bit lacking in that front. And I feel like they've really tried to front load. And it could just be that this is chapter one and they really want to kind of front load the, the world building and these characters. So, you know, I'll see if chapter two does more with that in terms of the kind of game part of it. But the way that they end chapter one, I think that it's going to, like, this is going to be a very, very story centric type of game, which makes sense for what it is. But, um,. I think it is very compelling, and it, uh, the the story alone has me wanting to play the next chapter, which is you know what you want to accomplish when you have the these games split out into chapters like they are. Um, so I don't know if you two like looked at much of it or are are going to play it at some point, but um,
2: I'll be playing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'll be I'll be playing it at some point. Uh,
1: I I think it's a thing where I'm just probably going to wait until the other episodes are out. Yeah, um, I mean, because or at least more than one. Well, yeah, because like chapter two is out today, and then chapter three is out. I think at the end of the month, I want to say. Um, and this first chapter was only I I did it in about three hours, so it's not too long. I am I am up for that. Right, so.
0: I'll 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 recede back into my silence as we get some hawk talk. David, Dave, you even have you
2: installed hawk yet? Because I uh... uh, it
0: it is it is the game is installed. The patch is currently downloading along with all of the hitman.
2: Okay, cool. So you haven't actually played it.
0: No, okay. I have not. All right, Jack. Let's do this. Yeah. Um... I I am just going on mute. Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: Tony Hawk is real fucking good, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's fair to say that you know, even if you were grading on the curve of Tony Hawks 5, which was just a fucking mess of a game and the Let's pretend Tony it doesn't Hawks, exist. <laughs> and the original Tony Hawks remake, which was just bland and sterile and just not fun. Half a job um, ended on that. Yeah. Yeah, really it was. This just completely blows those out of the water. And even if they were, like, solid games that were the victim of uh, diminishing returns, this is actually just, no, this is actually a a genuinely great game which takes the source material of the first two games. Now, I'm still only on the uh, Tony Hawk's 1 levels still. But in terms of, like, the film, the physics... Um, it feels very much like they have just taken that game from 1998, 99 uh, and and just brought it kicking and screaming into life in 2020 with updated visuals uh, and I think so far from the two three hours of it that I've, I've played like I'm up to, I've just finished Downhill Jam, uh, yeah I think it is a, a perfect transition from that what it originally
2: was to what it is now it's just everything I I wanted really. This game. When I heard that they were they were remastering and remaking it, and it wasn't going to be Robo Mado, I was really happy because they'd done such a piss poor job, as you said previously, and it this just feels like it's been made with so much more awareness of 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 what made the original games good in terms of the. Like the, the gravity situation and just how things feel, how easy it is to pull off moves, switch between tricks and combos, all of that stuff is back, but just polished to an extreme. And with the Unreal Engine running absolutely perfectly, and just it feels so fluid and so satisfying to play it that I really couldn't have asked for more. And it's just really cool to see these. Uh, locations reimagined, like, the original School, because it was quite a big level, there was barely any detail in there, and and playing the, like, remastered version of School today, and just, you know, all the, like, everything down to, like, little bits of graffiti, and, and like, little things on tables, and uh, stuff that you, that you didn't have in the original game, it just... It makes the whole experience just feel that much more rewarding, and it is a genuine. Sometimes things get remastered, and it's just upscaling or changing this, that, and the other thing. But this has been absolutely perfectly remastered, in my opinion. I will, I will say
1: that you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I would have expected them to do anything from uh, Tony Hawk's Four onwards, where there were actually other people around or quests or whatever. But I do think that. You know, in terms of what actually is there and how they've up everything and and built everything up. uh, You know, the the environments look great. But I still kind of wonder where there could have been maybe more to actually fill these environments. Even with a couple of people. Even if they're just kind of sitting around or whatever. Just to give like a little bit more life to these areas. If that was something they even kind of considered. That I think would have just helped to just give like a little bit more energy to these levels. Because they still you know they're still very barren in terms of that it's just you in these empty uh you know playgrounds basically uh with half pipes that have been built into walls and stuff like that um that's that's kind of my one takeaway uh in terms of like
2: to be fair in minnesota there are two taxis absolutely creaming it there are two
1: taxis absolutely belting it around who've wiped me out once or twice that is true yeah (laughs) um so that's that's the one thing um but like i mean the one thing I haven't checked out yet, actually, is if they uh, updated the, any of the high scores for the original Tony Hawks or for any of them, because, you know, just simply having the manual and the acid drop uh, and the revert, you know, all three of those, not the manual, because, wait, manual was in one. Manual's in one, yeah. We just didn't yeah, have reverts. The revert or the, the acid drop. Those two things, you know, as soon as you have those, uh, you know, chaining together a million points is not that difficult without those two in like the original Tony Hawks it's actually kind of an ass to accomplish so to have those uh, it it doesn't break the game but you know getting those high scores in those early levels is is really easy so i haven't checked to see if that they did like beef up the high scores to yeah. accommodate for that yeah not really but then no. what
2: i like is that you've got an in game challenge system so it doesn't kind of take it out of the hands of somebody that just casually wants to pick it up and accomplish the goals. But they do have the option in the challenger system. Like I've been doing the platinum scores in each level and the platinum scores are all like, you know, depending on the area, a million plus. Like, for instance, we talked about downhill uh, and, and just how challenging it is to consistently score points on downhill. Uh, just because of the, the way the combo lines are and that there's a lot of precise jumping and landing in, in particular areas. Uh, and the, the Platinum score on that is a million points. And that is a challenge, right? That is a yeah. big challenge.
1: Downhill Jam reminds me of trying to get some of those high scores in SSX3 where you have to be <laughs> very specific with your lines.
2: Exactly, yeah. So yeah. Um, the only cool thing now about downhill versus the original is that you can skate back uphill. If you need to. So if you go past something or go around something. um So I'm not too bothered about uh, having stuff going on in the levels. That that doesn't annoy me as much. That doesn't annoy me. It's just
1: it's more like just a kind of a, a casual fault slash observation. Uh, by no means does it annoy me. Um, but I guess it's just one of those things that you know in 2020 that is definitely a viable option where. You know, in 1999, you'd want to, you know, limit the amount of assets you'd have on the screen to keep the fucking thing running on the original PlayStation. But
2: it's neither here nor there, really. But then they just made the environment look that much better um, without having that complication, which I quite like. Of course. My my two really tiny gripes, um, because everything about everything else I am really on board with. One is that... I'm not a massive fan of the way they've mixed the audio of the music. I like music getting louder when you have your special meter, and I kind of like that. It's
1: it's again. It's the SSX thing, and I always but not I mean,
2: but done not as well as that. So the SSX no. thing was reactive of the environment very well, and and to be fair, this is as well. That will echo around, but it's kind of a bit clumsy, and I wish I could turn it off. I wish the, the I could prob- just have the, the music.
1: Is, is SSX has velocity. And, you know, when you are up in the air and you haven't got into like your super meter yet and then you land and that sets your super meter off and then, you know, that bit in the bitter end kind of comes blasting through, you know, no game in as far as I'm concerned has ever mixed sound in a way as effective as that did. Um, and, you know, you, you simply don't have the environments and the velocity to, to achieve that kind of thing. So I think regardless of how well it would be mixed, it would never accomplish what SSX did um but no i i think i like it i like that you know when you bail out the sound drops it doesn't do the thing i think the thing you're thinking of is that you know with ssx it'll drop out instruments instead of dropping out the actual dynamics where here's it just it kind of drops out the sound like you know if you have a filter on your mic um to you know whenever you talk the background music cuts out it's a little bit too kind of precise with that sort of thing instead of like dropping out instruments is that the kind of thing you're talking thinking about
2: yeah, but it just does this weird thing where the music gets louder when you're on special and then when you're not on special it drops down and then when you bail it goes super quiet and kind of builds back up. I'm just not a fan. I'd just rather have the, the music mix in the background of the game but it hasn't. It doesn't bother me to the point of it being a big game-breaking issue for me. Uh, I, I'd just rather hear the music because there's a lot of new music. Sure. Like... Being able to go from Jerry was a race car driver by Primus to shut down by Skepta uh, earlier on is a a skip that I had. And it just made me so fucking happy that those two worlds are colliding in a Tony Hawk game. Uh, The other small issue I have is just, and it is because it's a modern game. You just have to be, and it takes about 15, 20 minutes of getting used to just have to be a bit more precise when you landing things and hitting grinds and stuff like that so the hit boxes are obviously much much better and much narrower so you can't really get away with jumping say near a rail pressing the grind button and, and doing a grind and you can't get away with being halfway through a flip trick and then landing on the grind like that either like it it is a bit more considered which does kind of make it a, a bit better because it makes you less clumsy and, and more precise with your actions. But yeah, that that was only sort of something that I had to get used to that had changed and, and really it's not too difficult and it does just make me, you know, have a bit more concentration. I'm not playing it as sloppily as, as maybe I would have done in the past. But yeah, other than that, it's, it's, it's very rare that I say this, but it's, it's really everything that I wanted
1: from... Do you know what I've realised is that I've had... You know my PlayStation 4 for about six years or so, and my thumb still can't quite figure out where the options button is because every time I go to press start to restart the level, I just whack like the right part of the the pad yeah. on the PS4 controller. Um, I kind of my t- it's a tiny tiny gripe. I do wish that the you know restart run was like a little bit quicker because it is one of those games where if you bail out, you might just want to start the level again a a super meat boy or whatever and i kind of wish that it had a dedicated restart the level button um and that's you know that's just a a quality of life thing but there's just enough time between clicking to restart a run and the level loading back up that it's like this could be that that transition could be a little bit quicker a little bit cleaner um but you know that's a real uh, quality of life thing more than anything else um i i can't pick out any specifics in terms of like new songs but you know there's nothing in there that i'm i'm wanting to skip you know everything kind of fits in sounds really good um i think and everything they've picked definitely picks the theme of of a tony hawks game it has that kind of punkish attitude to it that you need um and yeah i i uh, I, I'm just looking forward to getting to, to Tony Hawk's 2 because my my experience with Tony Hawk's 1 is, is actually really limited like I really came on board with Tony Hawk's 2 um, but uh, yeah it's it's all good and I, I haven't really jumped into any of like the platinum rums or stuff like that I'm just kind of mainlining through all of the main objectives and then I'll kind of come back and pick up uh, those challenges and stuff so but yeah it's 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 a very solid uh, remake of a very very good game.
2: yep thank you very much Vicarious Visions uh for making me feel like a teenager again. It, it's quite rare that you get to experience that. But yeah, I mean, I'm sat there uh after work today playing Tony Hawk on a Friday night, probably like I would have been in, in like 99 2000 after school on a Friday night sat there playing Tony Hawk in the same levels and You know what, some people might find that depressing, I find that comforting, and it makes me happy.
1: Well, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be able to do that with Mario 64, so uh, Dave, shall we segue?
2: Segway, my friend.
1: Yeah,
0: let's do the news, and we had Money Money Marios, uh, a 35th anniversary Nintendo Direct for Mario, where... Many, many Mario related things were uh, announced and many, many rules for the purchase of those Mario things were also announced. Uh, the headline of which, let's just go into it right now. Game and watch. And it's, of course, the Game
1: and Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that they fucking started with a fucking Game and Watch. Yeah. Uh no, obviously the uh the the actual
0: headline are the um the, the badges that you can win by accomplishing uh certain Mario related missions through Nintendo products for the next few months. Oh, also there's the small matter of uh Mario 3D All Stars, which comprises Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy. Uh, all uh remastered, adapted for the Switch. Uh, all. Uh, Well, I think uh, Galaxy already was, but the rest of them are all now in widescreen, um, polished, uh, ready to go, and out in two weeks. And I'm immediately going to shoot to the man who I know was just waiting for this to make his year the whole time, and that's Jack. Uh,
2: Jack, how are you doing? I mean, by so what, this is coming out in what, two weeks? So So in two weeks time, I probably would have absolutely smashed the majority of the missions in Tony Hawk. And then I go from playing that to then, you know, I I said the other day in our chat that this 3D collection is coming out. Now, I like Galaxy a lot. I didn't actually finish it. I haven't uh, picked up Sunshine in 10 or 15 years um, and played on my GameCube. I've played Super Mario 64 100 times or something ridiculous and you know what when those three games come out I'm probably gonna go straight to Super Mario 64 because of course I am because I'm an idiot but yeah really excited uh I'm basically just reliving the late 90s in video game form right now uh when I probably should be you know sort of scurching the uh uh skirting this arrested development that i'm currently in of uh, playing old video games but i don't care i'm gonna go straight to it and yeah having a a portable full res graphic version of super mario 64 that i can play on the go is uh i'm really happy i'm very very happy that they've done this i'm
1: getting this close to muting anyone who decides to give their hot takes about sunshine because i'm at the point i don't care whether you like it or you don't like it think it's the best one or the worst one i'm just i don't care um that's that's the big thing that you know seems to be on everyone's mind in regards to this. Really, um, just be fucking yeah, happy, oh, man. Like everyone, give it a, give everyone, it a play in man. a oh, new context. Sunshine. So, uh, and sunshine is great, by the way.
0: At, at worst, it just makes up one third of an unbelievable bundle. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh,
1: for me, like I'm most curious about going back to Galaxy because um, I only played through it the once. And, and I don't know why I never, like, and I never played 2. I've actually never played Galaxy 2. I found it
2: odd uh, that 2 isn't included in this.
1: Well, I mean, that's just Nintendo. Like, they'll probably sell that yeah. in six months' time with some other bundle and yeah. make a shit ton more money. Or, or do, like, the All-Stars expansion. Of course, of course. Um, so, the Galaxy is the one that I'm really looking forward to going back to um, and seeing that... Why didn't I have more reverence for it at the time? Um, Because, I mean, this would have been, what, 2006, 2007, and I think that was around about my my low peak in terms of uh, what I was playing. Um, Could it partly,
2: like, again... Be the fact that he was 21 at that time and just getting on it and enjoying life?
0: Could be, but also it could be the, the there's also the it's the one home console generation I missed. So correct me if I'm wrong, but like, could it be that maybe that if it had been like if Galaxy came out now on the Switch, you'd probably get the whole way through it. But something about the Wii, it just didn't feel. No, no, because right. I like the
1: Nintendo Wii. Like I can com- I completed yeah. Twilight Princess. I had a bunch of games on the Wii. I I very much enjoyed that console. I I'm with um,
0: Dave it, on this one, um, because because it was that that's why I never i never really played it i played a little bit of it because you could adapt it on the wii u there was like a weird compatibility thing where you could play galaxy on the wii u um so i played a little bit of it there but like i never jumped on it because just the wii short of those kind of like wii sports and stuff like that never really held much interest like if you
2: ask me what my least favorite mario kart game is as a as a huge mario kart fan it's mario kart say <laughs> as a human being as a human everybody should enjoy Mario Kart but it's Mario Kart Wii yeah but that one is the most lacking anyway
1: like I don't think uh, it's I, a bad game I think game. regardless of, it's it's of like the Mario games because that's coming off the back of both Toadstool Tour which is still you know like one of the the benchmarks of that series and the advanced game which was like taking the original and bringing that into the 21st century um, and I think that just regardless of the console that was on, I, I think Mario Kart Wii is severely lacking uh, compared to those two. I, I've,
2: I replayed it um, a year or two ago, like someone had it, and I love the courses on the game. I think they're really cool. I just I don't like having to hold the controller sideways and tilt to go round and stuff like that. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. That's what
0: I, I, I played it a little bit in work not too long ago, that Mario Kart, and I was just like, I like the tracks, but I just don't want to play with this dumb controller, whether it's in the dumb wheel or outside of the dumb wheel.
2: Especially in the dumb wheel, because then I'm just a guy with a dumb wheel, just pretending yeah. I'm it also driving. Did, it also didn't
1: help that the, the online the online stuff with uh, that and you know the Wii in general was... was kind of trash so everything except the Wii
2: shop channel music
1: (laughs) yeah yeah uh but yeah i mean there's a whole bunch of other stuff here we need to unpack as well that i think people still haven't actually kind of really taken on
2: board yet like there's a fucking yeah i mean we
0: already talked about the game and watch so well yeah yeah,
1: yeah, i know right
2: (laughs) how cool does that like augmented reality mario kart uh go kart thing look that they're bringing out
0: is wild so it's priced at 100 quid which i actually think for the like the tech in it and what it's alleging it's going to be able to do is a lower price point than i i was expecting like with how kind of expensive their cardboard was when labo came out um i was expecting it to be like reaching towards 200 almost uh but yeah it's like it's one of those only fucking nintendo yeah could come out with something As a like massive,
2: this. like, scale-electric fan when I was a kid, if I had a Mario Kart thing like this where I basically just make my own tracks and then set up checkpoints and stuff like that, I mean, I would have been all over the house just making all kinds of crazy courses. And they even do that thing where they zoom out from the living room in, in the commercial uh and then just set up loads of different configurations that people can take for the track and, you know, kids, like, setting up toys alongside it to keep them on the straight and narrow and yeah it just made me feel like a, an excited 10 year old watching that it just seems so cool uh
0: super mario all stars the original version is coming to the snes virtual console that well it, it it shadow dropped right after the uh the direct Uh, We also have a deluxe version of Super Mario 3D World, which I think is a very underrated 3D Mario entry from the Wii U. Again, you talk about something that was hidden away on a console. uh, Super Mario 3D World is definitely.
2: That That fucking game was great. And it also gave us Toad's Treasure Tracker, which is also equally great. Um, and it comes with a new
0: expansion, a new, like, uh, kind of almost DLC called Bowser's Fury, which we only saw a little bit of, so we, we can only speculate as to what's going on Surprisingly
1: not called Bowser's Fury, considering the catsuits. Yeah. Indeed. Um, I mean,
0: don't Google that phrase. <laughs> well, no, no. No. Oh, dear Lord. No. <laughs> Just don't do it. Um, not, not good SEO. Uh, a fucking, a, obviously, have... a Mario Battle Royale. Oh my god, the Inspired by Tetris 99, it's Super Mario Brothers 35, uh, 35 people competitively playing Mario Brothers levels at the same time, and you're able to do shit, kind of like Tetris 99, where you can dump junk on other people's, uh, levels, you can start attacking people with green shells
1: or Goombas and, uh, and
0: things like that, um...
1: Yeah, what do we think of this? This looks wild. I'm just hoping that they carry on this trend and then we get, like, a Goman Mystical Ninja 64 that is literally 64 (laughs) people playing Goman. I want to see a Metroid one where everybody gets lost. So just original Metroid, then? Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. like 99 people getting lost at the same time. Yeah, and actually you can fuck around and you can change the map for other people because then no one will ever finish that game. Yeah, this is wild. Um, I love the fact that you can take a game... I mean, obviously, Tetris was, you know, this game that they took and bolted on this Battle Royale mechanic and... You can kind of see how that would work because they've done that kind of stuff before where you have, you know, multiple people playing uh, Tetris and you can fuck around with, like, the other person's Tetraminos. So it was just that but expanded to 99 people. But this is that but bolted onto a Mario game and, like, a platforming game, which is not something that I am aware that's been done before. Uh, So, yeah, this is pretty wild and I I really want to check this out at some point because I'll probably be at least a little bit more successful than I ever was at Tetris 99, because I could never win at that fucking thing. Don't fuck with my Tetraminos. Minos. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jack, what do you think of this one?
2: Yeah, it just looks really cool. It's a great idea, and I think even though it seems like bandwagon jumping or whatever, I'd be really interested to hear what the things that you can do and the ways you can mess with people if you get to certain power-ups and and things like that—it has a an infinite sort of possibility to to the creativity that they could really bring out with this one, and uh, yeah, I I like it. So when you were talking about you know six you know sixty four this that and the other because the uh, when they remade Mario sixty four it was Mario sixty four by four. Imagine Mario sixty four by sixty four, where you had sixty four <laughs> people playing like I don't know dried dried docks at the same time or something, and just absolute chaos of everybody trying to like reach the goal at some point and you had like a mario version of four guys i i would be down with that it reminds me of the um the
0: gamecube tech demo you saying that was it mario 128 mark where to show the the graphical power of the gamecube they had they animated 128 marios moving at the same time
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the only the the two things of note um that to go back to the original uh three of the all stars thing is one, I'll be curious to see how the controller support translates across because you've got three wildly fucking different controllers in the sixty four, the GameCube and the Wii controller. Um so uh yeah, I mean it, that could be
2: interesting. I mean like one thing's so, for sure, A is definitely gonna be jump.
1: Yeah. So I mean, like Mario 64 already, you know, had the port onto the original DS, um, which was fine, but that only had the the D-pad at the time, which kind of worked, but I was never fully on board with it. But just the fact that it was Mario 64 in portable form was was kind of the selling point anyway. Um, the the GameCube has the thing with the C. Uh, stick, So that's going to... I've always found that jarring to try and, like, whenever I've tried to, to play with, like, an emulator or anything. Or even with the 64 controller, like, trying to assign the C buttons to, like, the right stick has always not felt natural. Um, and then, obviously, you know, God knows what they'll do with the, the Wiimote controls. So that's one thing. And then the other thing, which I think is a very big point of contention, is the fact that this is a limited release. Uh, And not only for the physical version, madness. A limited release for a digital release is (laughs) fucking preposterous, and only could be done by Nintendo. A
0: a digital release for a first-party IP, (laughs) like it's not like the rights are going to fucking expire, you know. Um, Like it's just fucking madness, and something like Mario as well, where it's not like. The people who are going to buy a Mario game are going to buy a Mario game. Loads of people are going to buy it up front and loads of people are going to want to buy it later. Yeah, loads of people are going to want to buy it later. Mario games have long tails and Nintendo games don't depreciate in value very didn't quickly, you say, at, if at didn't all. Didn't you
1: say the other day that your theory is that they just they want to like front load as many sales as possible for this quarter or the next yeah. quarter to... Uh,
0: well, that's what, that's, what, that's what Jack was saying, that it's right, right. to the financial year. But like... I don't think like when they're especially when they're old legacy games, I, I like I I don't see the purpose in just stopping it dead then at the thirty first of March because you there's a chance you might increase sales a little bit up to the thirty first of March but you're guaranteeing you won't sell anything after the thirty first of March by stopping the sale. Yeah, it's you could what you the the. The better thing to do is probably introduce it at a slightly lower price for that period of time and go well it's going to go up to full price after that
1: you know do you know what do you know what i'm thinking uh here's here's my wild theory is that the reason that they will uh cut like the deadline was it the 31st of march is because on april the 1st they'll release the switch pro that will have this built in as a bundle that's that's well. That's what I said. I I said. Oh, is that you what you said? Okay, sorry.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah. So I said there's there's one of two things going on, and it's either because the Switch Pro, we know from a Bloomberg report, I think it was Jason Trier, um, Bloomberg is. report, and a bunch of other people report it as well. The Switch Pro or Deluxe or whatever it's going to be fucking called, Switch Plus or whatever, is coming out next year, possibly towards the summer. Um. Either, like you said, they're going to come as a pack-in, so it's an incentive to buy the thing if you missed out. Or, in their heads, it's a way to kind of declutter and get, get it out of the way so that their messaging from April 1st on will be Switch Plus, Switch Plus, Switch Plus, and then from the point at which it comes out, it will only be available on the Switch Plus version of the Nintendo shop. I think regardless of what their reasoning is, whether it's financial year or any of the things you or I just laid out there, Mark, it's dumb. And it's dumb in a very uniquely Nintendo sort of way. It's dumb in a way that
1: doesn't really like none of those theories are really justified i don't think yeah it's it's just it's peak nintendo like it could, they, they're the only company i can think of that would release something like this this incredible package but also have like an asterisk to say oh by the way just to make this slightly more inconvenient yeah Right in the middle of when, like,
0: they were nicely
1: being left out of the
0: argument that's going on at the moment between, like, the legacy upgrades between PS4 PS5 and Xbox One and Xbox Series X, where, like, you know, we were talking about Control last week and other games, like, what's going to get a free upgrade, what isn't, and Nintendo, because they released mid-generation people are conveniently forgetting how bad they are about legacy stuff and then right in the middle of it they're like oh here's a bunch of 20 year old games only available for five months fuckos (laughs) (laughs) you know like Uh, uh, it's just it's so And the funniest thing
2: is this is only the tip of the iceberg of properties that they're sitting on at the moment from like four or five generations of nintendo that if they were to put online tomorrow they would make all of the money like literally all of the money would belong to nintendo and yet we still don't see the light of day Like just bring out Ocarina of Time How many digital copies it, Between now and the end of the year How many digital copies do you think Ocarina of Time sells 4 5 million minimum Plenty And that's just um, Ocarina uh, of Time Yeah the thing, about, like, the thing that
0: fucks me off as well Is the absolute certainty That those games will be back on sale oh, again Of course like nailed on that 3D All-Stars is not that's not going to be the last time like we might have to wait 3 months or 6 months but they will be on sale again you know um it's just yeah it just ugh. it's just so nintendo you're so used to them because the switch has been such a home run you're so and the mad stuff they've been doing like ring fit and um Oh, I actually must talk about Ringfit on the on um again on, on on the next show now that I've remembered it. But like Ringfit and Labo and stuff like that. So their mad uh their mad experiments have been going like so well for them, you forget how often they used to fuck up the really simple stuff. Like it does it feels like a million years ago, Mark, doesn't it, that we were talking about the three D S coming out with no charger. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like just so yeah. that the box could be smaller because they'd save X amount on but shipping but I don't think that is like specific to Nintendo I'm pretty sure uh, no but it, Nintendo had a really good hit rate yeah. with really open goal things like I think it like sound like that and that sounds more like an Apple tactic than Nintendo yeah. or whatever but. hmm
2: um, I mean if Apple owned hey. the amount of intellectual properties that Nintendo do that they could make money from they would not be just sitting on it. I think Nintendo might be the only company in the world that owns in demand intellectual property that they don't make available to a rabid customer base who all have consoles that they can take around home, work, all environments. It's insane. They're,
0: they're the only they're the only uh, platform holder or game developer in the industry who's act- who are actually seem to be quite happy with the amount of money they're currently <laughs> making. <laughs> they're like, Do you know, what we don't actually need a bigger slice of the pie. It's fine. Yeah, it's
2: uh, it- it's maddening, but it's also Nintendo. Yeah. And to be fair to them, they've come a long way from like you know banning. They tried to ban, like, video game rentals when that first started happening in the early 90s. So they've come a long way from there. They're still not quite there yet, but they're they're better. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, What I actually found uh, funny was I I was listening to a podcast. Oh, fuck, I can't remember who it was. We're talking about it. But they were talking about how um, Nintendo used to copyright strike people who are putting up let's play videos of legit versions of their games oh. they bought but weren't copyright striking pirated versions really yeah so because of the way it's automatically set up like because of their whatever automated system they have for copyright strikes it was able to catch the stuff that was from the legit version of the game but whatever about the emulated versions, the automatic flagging system just wasn't working on them. So it was like they were incentivizing you to steal the game. <laughs> oh, man. It's great stuff. But uh, moving on to more Nintendo-related news. It's been a great year for, like, old, weird Nintendo leaks coming out. And this is one that I thought was really interesting. Uh, as far back as the GameCube, it looks like Nintendo had the idea for the Switch in their head. Um, this comes from Eurogamer. More of Nintendo's internal secrets spirit to have hit the internet including early plans for a Switch-like portable. Uh, GameCube with a dock. The dock would have included GameCube controller ports plus slots for both GameCube memory cards and SD cards as the Wii eventually offered. Uh, leaked documentation posted to Reddit also includes a proposal for a traditional console follow-up to the GameCube. This plan would have been seen as an HD GameCube successor with power equal to the 360 launch for Christmas 2005, which was a year before the Wii debuted. Um, it, It's incredible stuff, isn't it? It's like they were just... It, it, they were... 15 to 20 years ahead of the technology for the switch and they were still trying to do it's it it's
2: incredible but it also just reminds me how sad it is that n64 and gamecube are both two incredible consoles that they just kind of refused to play ball with a not upgrading from cartridges and b then when they finally went to optical media they're like no we're gonna do it on these tiny little discs that you know you can't really change or pirate or anything and uh, yeah uh it's it's cool that they had that innovation but whenever i think about the gamecube and n64 generations i just get really sad because yeah i would have loved the portable gamecube that would have been incredible i'm glad
1: that they they did shelve at least like the hd gamecube successor because that just it's given me flashbacks to the mid 2000s uh sorry the mid 90s with sega and like the 32x and the sega cd And I kind of think that if they had announced and released it um, and they still had like the Wii in mind like a year later, I feel like that thing would have just bombed because, um, you know, you're not going to buy a console if you know that. And this is a proven fact because it's what happened with Sega is they announced the 32x uh and the sega cd um but the sega saturn i think was already out in japan and was coming out like a year later in america and everyone was like well fuck that we're just going to get the saturn um and then like the saturn was out for not that long and then they'd already announced the dreamcast was coming out at the end of the year and you know you're not know having with sega afterwards so i don't think you know I, I think that nintendo had enough cachet that they wouldn't have um fallen into such trappings and i'm sure the wii would have still sold umpteen millions um but i'm kind of glad that they they didn't go with that way um with really either of them because i think that they would have just been too gimmicky not gimmicky but um just with the the wii in the background if that had already been announced i just i, I don't think it would have made that much difference it just
2: goes to show that the one thing about nintendo no matter how much i you know complain about this that, and the other thing is their innovation uh, and their future site is always completely on point.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of uh, things that are on point, there's this hot new game. It's called The Witcher 3, lads. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, no, um, is that... But... Uh, what is that? <laughs> some some sort of fantasy thing? Uh... Yeah, well, look, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but uh, d- nonetheless, it is getting a next-gen upgrade, um, you know, this is this is kind of the new thing now where. Every couple of weeks, we're getting drip feeds out. Oh, this game will be available next generation. This game will be available. um, And this is pretty good. Like, it's a much more cut and dry thing than the the control situation, it seems to be, where The Witcher 3, getting a new version, designed for next-generation consoles and PC, and it'll be free to all current owners of the game on PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox One. Next-generation version will uh, boast ray tracing, faster load times, and will come with both sets of expansion, which is... Uh, conservatively about 80 to 85 extra hours of story uh and missions uh and all other extra content included uh so like that's pretty good uh, as the report says here it doesn't seem to have any strings attached you have to have the game of the year version or anything like that it seems to be just no if you had the game before then you're getting the the beefed up fully deluxe version that looks extra pretty next generation and then you're automatically starting off next generation even if you can't afford any launch games you've got the witcher 3 which is like two to three hundred hours of content right there. i'm
1: curious to know what the the financial incentive of this is it's like if it's a free upgrade um Mm. you know i just i wonder and you know i i'm sure like there's no way that um Everyone is working on Cyberpunk. I'm sure that they have other people working on like R and D projects or whatever else. So you know, you can imagine there are people that are still working and tinkering on on The Witcher. Um, Yeah, I mean last last year they released the 4K patch for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but I just I wonder what the financial incentive is, or if it's purely just based on goodwill. Um,
0: Yeah, I guess like obviously it will probably get a version you can buy on PS5 and Xbox One, and in the interim. It's, it's probably going to cause people to, oh, well, look, The Witcher 3 is only X amount of euro on the shop now. Well, it's been X amount now, of euros on
1: the shop for like the last two years.
0: Yeah, yeah. It Like it periodically, whenever there's a big sale, it dips down to like 10 or 15 quid, yeah. which is a outrageous deal for the amount that's in that game. I mean, like at well, this point, get...
1: the only people that don't own it and it's kind of similar with stuff like GTA 5 is just people that just have no interest in playing it. yeah. So maybe this gets the final people over the hurdle where it's like I might no, as well. I'm now, still not going to buy it. I I played it for an hour. <laughs> no, not you, I'm not this, dude. Play this it. isn't.
0: I'm not saying you for fuck's sake. It's not all about you, love.
1: <laughs> fuck this game. But, um, there's
0: going to be people who are just like oh, I was thinking about it, but we were coming towards the end of the console generation. But now I can fuck around with it for a bit on PS4. Who's been thinking for five for fucking
1: whole... years about playing this game? Me? Five fucking years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jack. Ah. <laughs> All I want to know is if we've got if we've got next gen The Witcher, You're how have we not got yet next gen Blind
2: in the Sand? <laughs>
1: just, uh. just the
2: immediate dismissal. <laughs> I love I-, I love that you just dismissed me, but you didn't even want to counter an argument. You just made a sound. That is top shit, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> right uh moving on from that one because we're i think
0: the show has peaked just there uh this one uh hits close to home for for poor marky mark um luftrosers developer vlambeer on their 10th birthday this week announced that they were closing so i'll leave this one in your capable hands mark
1: yeah i mean i i fucking i I tweeted out that when i think about it vlambeer probably i'm not i don't know if it's my favorite but definitely one of like my top three uh studios indie or otherwise of the last 10 years um they they know it's like 10 years since it was established in 2010 by uh, rami ishmael and jan william uh, Nijman. uh studio decided to mark the occasion by basically sort of shutting up shop uh they announced via twitter that they felt they'd had a beautiful run made incredible games and worked with amazing people but decided it was time for new things which i think is entirely fair like 10 years is a pretty good run and and You know, at that point, it's sometimes best to go and explore other things and do other things. Um, I look up Block Party as someone who I wish had done something similar to that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, they made some great games. Like, I love Luftrausers. I never really touched Nuclear Throne as such. um, But but, uh, Super Crate Box was excellent. And Ridiculous Fishing, which is still one of my favorite games on mobile that isn't available uh, anymore, which uh, frustrates me to no end. Uh, and I I wish was available somewhere, but yeah, I've always felt on Van i I've always thought they were excellent, I think they've made some of the best games on the the mobile market, and certainly early on when I had my mobile phone, um, they had the types of games that really just, you know, I I had something compelling stuff to play that wasn't just like Angry Birds or whatever, um, Temple Run clones, so yeah, it's sad, but uh, the people behind it are obviously very talented, and, and obviously like, Rami has always been um, someone really interesting to follow on Twitter with, like, not only just him in terms of his, like, gaming background, but because um, he's uh, uh, Muslim as well, and, you know, he's perspective on a lot of things from that as well, uh, he's he's someone very interesting to follow on Twitter. So, yeah, sad, but, you know, I'm sure they'll do excellent things going forward.
0: Um our final news story. This is a really interesting one. Interactive Interactive Interactive, a publisher, who, like, whenever I see their name attached to something, it's like, oh, this is going to be something, like, a, a bit unique, a bit off the beaten track. Uh, they've put out some good stuff over the years. Um, so they have a game that's coming up called 12 Minutes, which I had heard of before. It's a time loop game. It's about kind of um, a really violent home invasion happens in 12-minute loops, and you have to try and break the loop and stop it from happening. Um... And it announced its cast this week and uh, really like uh, absolutely star studded stuff for what seemed like such a small project. Uh, James McAvoy, Daisy Ridley
1: and Willem Dafoe <laughs> will be in this game. But an absolutely crazy lineup. Um, this is clearly the, the Dafoe thing- knowing that look, if I'm going to be in a video game, I've got to make sure it's a yeah. good one now. My favorite thing about this whole story from
0: Eurogamer is that they describe him as Spider-Man and Beyond Two Souls actor Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yes, the two projects Willem Dafoe is best known for, Spider-Man and Beyond Two Souls. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I saw a little bit of a preview of this um, when they did the cast reveal trailer, and uh, color me interested. Uh, just wanted to bring that to people's attention there. I mean, have I heard anything No, like I'd this?
2: never heard it or before. Or and the fact that it's been in development for seven years, fucking hell. When James McAvoy's name started getting bandied about, it just sounded super intriguing. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. I really like the idea, uh, the the sort of 12-minute loop thing, and, and then trying to change. Like I, I've seen a f- quite a few movies like that. It seems to really be, and I didn't talk about it today just because... Um, Obviously, we covered Tenet and and a few other bits and pieces, but I saw the new Bill and Ted movie as well, and there just seems to be an awful lot of time travel related products uh, in in media at the moment. And I wonder if that's because, sorry, exactly. I'm wondering if that's because people just don't want to exist in the current timeline that we're in, so they're sort of <laughs> or because or because being in lockdown feels like a time I'm loop. Pretty much, yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I'm I'm hyped for this now i didn't really have any knowledge of it prior to this but yeah there's a hell of a of a lineup
0: yeah for sure um with that new story we're going to bring the show to an end for episode 177 of link to the cast uh check us out at link to the cast on twitter that's where you can see the latest shows as are posted or interact with us um tell us what you thought of the show or uh, stuff you think we should be covering uh stuff you think we should be playing anything like that just send us a tweet. Individually I'm at the day today, Mark is at Mark Robinson X2 and Jack is at Jack Lazelle. Um until next week, uh stay safe and we'll see you then.